Hello and welcome to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. Today I'm going to be talking to Maria Braun on the importance of perfect personalization and why human connection is vital for your marketing. First though, here is a very quick word from our sponsor, Influitive. This podcast is brought to you by Influitive, the world's number one customer marketing and advocacy platform designed to supercharge customer engagement and deliver social proof at scale. From referrals and references to reviews and video testimonials, Influitive does it all. Close more deals all with a customer-first approach through Influitive. So welcome back, everybody, to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. Today, we have the wonderful Maria with us. Hello, Maria. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. It's so good to have you too. And we also have a very returning familiar face with uh, Ari as well. Nice to meet you again. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I love doing these with you. Yes, it's so much fun. Let's start off uh, with you, Maria, with a little bit about who you are and where you are in your career and how you kind of came to um, work with and about uh, customer marketing and personalization, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. So Maria Braun, um, I'm actually located in Georgia. I live here with uh, my two kids and my husband and my two crazy dogs that hopefully are taking naps right now so we don't hear them. Um, And I'm director of client advocacy for a fintech um, organization called Daily Pay. Uh, We're a little different. We deal with a lot of B2B and B2Cs. Um, And I have, you know, I'm a veteran client success manager to the heart. Um, That is where I started my career. I feel like I've, I've, tried to leave it in different stages of my career and it just keeps pulling me back in. Um, So customer marketing and advocacy was just really the the perfect fit uh, for me. I I joke that I'm like the grandma, right? Like I get to play around with clients, have fun with them, get them all excited about stuff. And then I give them back to their client success managers to actually manage the account and, uh, and worry about renewals. And I'll say overall, let's be real. We get to deal with the, uh, promoter side of the account mm-hmm. base and so we, we yep. do have a lucky and fun job when approached correctly 100 percent. yep it's a very very fun analogy i like the idea of uh marketers being the ones to sneak little sweets over to, to the customers Ooh. and get them all excited and raring to go um So yes, personalization we're talking about, very hot topic in customer marketing. It's kind of an essential, almost customer marketing 101 um, when it comes to speaking to customers in general and obviously within the customer marketing profession itself. So given that we are talking about this topic, what would you say, Maria, is uh, important about personalization and why is it important for marketing outside of the obvious? Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I always tell folks personalization is not like, you know, dear Maria. Um, it, it's all about understanding the data that you have first and then being able to create that personalization program. Right. So you have these hopes and dreams of being able to send out messaging and or prompts within an app based off of. Well, you've got to first find out what that based off of data is. Um, and I really love to look at more of the, the ebb and flow of how people fall in and out of different personas. So, you know, and not not telling yourself, well, there's these three segments or these three personas, we're going to stick with them and everybody's going to fall into these buckets. It's, it's really pretty fluid. 
And that's why I think personalization is so important because people go through different stages, whether it's a buying stage and they they progress or it's a product that you offer that's going to eventually create these different um, stages of their life that they're going to be interested in your product. So it's super important to really look at the data that's going to help fuel that personalization. And why I really think it's so important is because people are going to start to realize, hey, you kind of do know what I like and what I don't like. And you tend to go towards that brand more. Um, I saw a lot of that in my past career with email marketing. And we we focused in on um, personalization. Shout out to Live Clicker that I came from. We, we really looked at those trends of how is that behavior? What is that person doing? Okay, now let's serve that up to them without them even knowing it. Um, and that's the key to it, right? We all know as marketers, oh, they should get this. But the consumer doesn't and they start to realize, oh, you do know what I like and they and they trust you and they start to believe in you. Um, and that's the key to me, I think, is is building that trust uh, with anybody that you're marketing to. And, and to do that, you have to know who they are first. Yeah, and if you think about the inverse of that, right, is you don't know me and we are all extremely busy. We are hit with information overload all day on every device, everywhere we look. And if you don't know me, why am I going to give you my time? Right. And so if I go into any experience where I feel lost or feel like this just isn't about me, I'm just a number. I don't spend a lot of time there. And we're all we are all vying for more time from these individuals. And even if you think in the B2B space, right, we forget like one person at one company probably has four or five or six CSMs are working with all of the different tech stacks that they are joining right or that they have all the different technologies that they have in their stack so they have multiple csms who are all trying to get time with them they have multiple customer marketing teams that are trying to get time with them they have multiple product teams that are trying to get time with them to their beta groups right and so how do you divvy up that time well it's definitely not going to go to the company that doesn't know you right mm -hmm. so that's, that, such a, that's such a great point and i i love i love re talking about multiple csms and multiple things being hit because you as that marketer or you as that client success, you think you're the only one, right? Because right. you're in it every day. And so you're obsessing over it and you're finding it. And, you know, a, a true relationship is some days you don't speak. You could go weeks, but then that girlfriend calls you and you go out and you have marks together, right? Like that you, you find the person that, that has found that way to your heart and understands that whole journey. Um, we used to call it jokingly. I used to, to say to new CSMs, do drive by emails. And that is just haven't heard from you in a while, kind of an email, but it's just, Hey, I saw this article and I thought of you have a great day. There's yeah. no ask. There's no buy something from me. There's no house, the service. It's just, I saw this and I thought of you and I wanted to send this over to you. Right. Um, but it brings it, value. Great. It brings value because you share something. It was just, Hey, which, you know, actually, a lot of people say, don't waste people's time. I, I, I'm i okay. Also, it's a surprising delight, especially when you know people just like, hey, thinking about you. That's it. Mm -hmm. I tend to do that with text messages. I tend to do that on a more personalized note, um, even with customers that I have their, you know, context because I build, we build friendships. But what we're talking about here, when you're talking about personalization, it's that scale. And so I love that idea of the drive-by email. 
Targeting and cohorts cannot be done unless you do your homework ahead of time to understand what experience you're going to be bringing them into. So when you mm-hmm. talk about that data, I mean, uh, it's, it, it's incredibly important. We ourselves use, you know, our own tool to do this. Yeah. And in our own VIP, you know, community for our customers, we have completely different experiences depending on, you know, how much product, what product you're using. How healthy are you? Are you in save play? Are you in upload? Are you expanding? Are we moving into different divisions with the company? So the entire experience, the challenges and the prompts, everything that you're getting is tailored. Mm-hmm. Do that a one-off. Each person comes in, we create a journey. No, it's built by a lot of different parameters that you're targeting them by. And that influences the experience that they go through. And then you also constantly have to understand, are these experiences changing for people? Times change. We all change. How do we stay modern? How do we stay hip? How do we continue to do that? And then whatever we're building here, how do we influence others to do the same? Right. So you're, you're, you're spot on. I don't think, to be honest, I don't know if there's anything more important than personalization. Value delivery, right? Value delivery is great when it's perceived, when, when people Mm -hmm. are understanding the value they're getting. And to do that, you have to know them, right? And you have to be able to deliver that. So yeah, I think you're, you are, because you've been doing this for as long as you have, and because you came from the client success or customer success mm-hmm. side, you know, right. How important it is. It is a key focus. To yeah. I, and I, you know, everybody talks about, Oh, data, 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 data. Um, I, I think we get overloaded sometimes and can get really in the weeds yep. when we look at data And then we start to think, oh, we could build this and this Uh, to your point of making this so that you can scale it. And it's realistic. It has to you have to almost start small and say, "Okay, I know that they like these three things or their behaviors or their trends fall into this bucket. Build out those personas. Listen, I I love personas. I think they're fascinating. They're amazing. But they have, you know. Susie, the buyer is going to change eventually as the world changes and or as your product or the industry changes. So it's it's being able to, again, be fluid with it and say right now over the next six months or nine months, these are our personas. They could or could not change. What's the data that's going to help drive these? And then you can slowly start building that up. And then your messaging is all based off of, and your personalization is all based off of that. Um, uh, Those key key findings in each one of those personas and and how you want to move them. Because that's the other thing too, right? Like you don't want to consistently be like the same personalization kind of messages. You have an end goal. You want to get them from here to here. You want to, you know, it's, it's. You know, thinking that you can change your husband's way of thinking, right? You're going to eventually get them to be thinking your way. So you have to create that path of how do I get them from one level to the next? I've got to, I've got to do that with my personalization too. Very subtle, subtle changes that they don't even realize um, are, are happening. Yeah, it's it's a really valid point. If I were to summarize what you just said for everyone listening, is you know, don't get too buried in the weeds because at the end of the day. You get too buried in the numbers. And I've watched this happen. You, you stop treating people like humans and you start treating them like numbers. And that's another push away point, right? That's another deflection point. When you get too buried in the numbers, we could spend all day in them. We have every data point now we can imagine. So you really mm-hmm. do. So, so from you, it's like, I say, what are those top three, four, five, maybe points that you can start with? 
when you're trying to personalize? Mm -hmm. What are you looking at as an experience? And then as you move forward, how do you make these subtle changes in their growth to get them from point A to point B, right? Yeah. So you are you are constantly evolving them and they're growing with you, right? Because we talk about maturity models when, when you talk about adoption of a product, but you have the maturity model of the human themselves getting better, mm -hmm. becoming a subject matter expert with your product, right? And that's what yeah. customer marketing really helps them do. It's how we digitally scale, just like marketing does, growth and demand marketing does for pre-sales, customer marketing can really help on that life cycle of both adoption and engagement, right? Before you yeah. even get to the upsell and cross-sell and expansion sides of the house. So my question would then be, um, if you have like a new customer marketer who has all of these, maybe they've already set out all of their personas, they know who their customers are, what would be your first move in terms of implementing personalization for the first time? Um, and where would you say they should be putting their effort in to make it the most effective? I think testing is going to be your and being humble. <laughs> you're going to come up with and you're going to dream this idea and you're going to be like, oh, my God, these are going to be the best this is going to be the best content. This is going to be the best messaging. There are going to be the best prompts in, in the platform. All of this. You have to try to find where are my weaknesses going to be, though, because there's going to be drop off at certain stages, right? Have I overwhelmed them with messages? So I would plot out a very small journey of personalization. One or two things that maybe you currently are doing that you're going to tweak. Look and see what that response is. Then go to your next. So almost create a hit list of, you know, at this stage in the journey, we really aren't seeing the adoption that we should see. So like if you've created a steady state, right? Like we look at something 13 weeks in their steady state. How do how do we now, you know, rejuvenate them? So pick pick where that steady state is, maybe. Um, it's going to be different for everybody, right? But I, I guess to to encapsulate all this, I would start small. I would look at your current messaging. What could you tweak? Don't think you're going to do all of it. Start tweaking one thing. It's like A-B testing, right? Tweak one thing. Go and go and listen. How did it change? How did it not change? Oh, getting a little bit of a lift. Okay. Now go to your next piece and see like, what can we add here? Or what can we start to supplement um, in this messaging that's more geared towards and personalized towards that particular um, client or user? whoever, whoever your, your audience is, I would, I would start small. Yeah. It's, it's, it's key one pilot, right? It's, the, it's mm -hmm. as you grow, if the, if you're new to this field or new to personalization, it's pilot as the, your favorite word to use, you will get a lot more buy-in from people allowing you to change things. If you talk about it as a pilot, rather than you are just going to, ins, you know, install this new change, inject this new change into the customer's experience. You're going to pilot it. So you're going to have a cohort, a test group. And I would always recommend never, ever starting with your upsell, cross-sell testing with their test earlier in the cycle, like you were saying in the adoption phase, mm -hmm. right? In the onboarding phase, those are great places to personalize and get yeah. them in. But you don't want to move to the, you don't want to tweak anything in expansion. You don't want to test there because you still haven't reined in the, your feel for what you're doing up front. So I would always save that for last. When you get really good at it, that's when you start to customize that journey and personalize that journey. Because when you lose them there, you lose them for good, 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier in the cycle, you still have time to regain their trust, to rebuild, right? And to continuously work and tweak on the relationship. So mm-hmm. it sounds it, like it's it, a whole time for you to do inventory anyway, right? Like it really is a good excuse. Like if you're, if, if we're talking, uh, I mean, first of all, your marketing office person is going to either love you or hate you, right? Because they're going to love you if you're saying, listen, there's a few things that we could probably get rid of because it's just, it's fat. It doesn't need to be there. Um, and then they, you know, they, <laughs> I would go in with, how are you going to make their lives better? <laughs> and then go in with, and by the way, we're going to pull out all this stuff, but we're also going to tweak, which might, you know, involve some new HTML and stuff like that. You, you, you do, you got to hit them differently. Right. But, um, I think what Ari mentioned about getting people on board too, and, and, and saying that this is a pilot, um, it is always so great to have those cross directional teams as part of this with you. And that is not so that if one falls, you all fall. It is so that there is an agreement and everybody's aligned versus a team that might be like, oh, it's because they did that. They changed that program. It's because they changed that. If you get everybody's buy-in on it and it doesn't, that doesn't mean they get approval of what every email says and or message says, it just means that they understand what you're trying to do. Because I've been caught in that before where I've like, hey, here's some examples of some new content that we're giving them. And then everybody wants to tweak a word or sentence or add a period or do that. And then you're like, no, 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 you missed what I'm trying to actually do here. We'll get the copywriter to figure that all out. What I what the big idea is, is do you believe in this concept? Do you believe that this that this could push the needle? And if they're if they're on it with you, they're like, oh, okay, great. Then you can give them the results of, hey guys, we use this this word versus that word, or we put the call to action somewhere different, whatever it is. Give them, give them that information so they feel like they're still a part of that creation. They're just not the ones determining where the button goes, right? I mean, yeah. Ari, what do you think? Am I am I far off on that one or herding uh, cats or <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like you don't, you know, that's where you can use a race or a daisy model as well. Um, so to keep that transparency. And, you know, there's nothing more important than having open communication so people aren't surprised because when people are surprised to our natural tendency, we're so busy in our days is to be resistant to change. That isn't because we're bad people. That isn't because, you know, sales are bad or they're malicious in any way. But you have to think that there's an adoption cycle. Right. And so people, when we are as busy as we are. We are barely surviving. All of us are treading water. You throw a whole new process in our way. Of course, we're going to block it because we don't know it. It's foreign to us. And we're barely surviving with the muscle memory that we have. And so you just got to be empathetic to that. And when what you're talking about, right, that cross-channel collaboration and, and keeping people alert, what it does is it allows them to remove some of those blockers to, to have an easier time absorbing it because you're bringing them along in this way that is not here's what we did. Here you go. Right. Where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't talk about any of this. You're, you're bringing them into the fold. Right. And I I don't think that internally for the success of your programs is anything more important than that open communication. Mm -hmm. Let's be real. Our jobs. I don't know a job that is more singly connected to as many departments as we are. Yeah. We, We touch everybody in the company. 
right? Everybody, even legal, we touch everybody. And so it's, it's part of our job that juggling act is really, we don't just connect our customers, we connect each other within our own organization, right? And we always think about that. I try and think of ourselves like we are B2B sports agents, right? <laughs> and so show other people off, praise them. That's a whole nother topic that we could cover in a different time. So I won't go down that wormhole. Yeah, I think um, what you've both said really does also emphasize how how much of an impact personalization can have, especially if you're in a company that hasn't got common practices for personalization from the get-go. Um you know, it seems like a lot of the time as well, you're talking about like grammar and things like that, that actually changes the tone of voice quite a lot of the time of your company and then the representation of your company in general. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important, really important. One of the next things I wanted to talk about, um, or ask about was, um, you know, the emphasis of the fact that personalization is very important, um, and how, that may impact things like growth um, and why that's important for companies to do and how potentially personalization is more sustainable for companies than things like acquisition, as we mentioned uh, before. Because I think acquisition does get prioritized a lot. Um, I think maybe it's starting to change a little bit, but it tends to get prioritized over things like retention and advocacy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, with in my mind, in an acquisition stage, you've still got the salesperson really chasing that deal, right? And really trying to work that as hard as they can, whether it's, you know, um, spending time with them on a call. It's a, it's a little bit more... I don't even want to use the word personalized, but it, but it's more familiar, right? Like that the rep is working with them. There might be an integration team. So there's a lot of um, handholding and love happening, right? Yeah. Once you get to kind of that steady state, yes, you have your client success manager, but like Ari said at the top of the call, right? You, you might have a client success manager, 10 or 12 of them. So your program, I think, in growth is when they're in that growth stage is really the most important because they're getting sideswiped by a million other things. So many other people are now talking to them because they, they've they've gone past acquisition. They've gone past integration. They're now in this like, OK, what do we do with this? And and the shiny new toy may not get as much attention as something else that's on fire. Um, so, again, I think that that subtle way of. They're coming into growth one way, and we know this because of the data that we're receiving. Are they are they interacting with our platform daily, or have they slowed down? That's where you start to see, and I'll tell you, anybody that's, and I would hope everybody is, is looking at their churn and, and determining where there are, are spots that could affect churn, even if they just signed. That is where you need to be really careful about what personalization you're using and how you're kind of prompting them to make sure that they're still in your platform or if they're in it, what are they doing in it? Um, and are they having success with it? And, you know, that's where I love to pull in the advocacy flow of it. That's when I love to be like, hey, regardless of what they're doing in the platform, 
this is when you start to put them into the different buckets of, of where you want to see them in advocacy. And so then again, your messaging becomes a little bit different because you want them to be thinking about a webinar or a blog or an event that's coming up that you'd love for them to be a part of. And that can either rejuvenate them and start thinking like, oh, that's right. I forgot about that platform. Like, are we using it as much as we used to? So again, it's it's taking their behavior and then using that to personalize the messaging that's coming into them that could possibly be about advocacy opportunities, right? Like, are they somebody that wants to build their brand and speak on a stage, but they're not really using your platform that much? You're still going to go in there and try to be like, hey, we got this event coming up. We'd love to see it see you there. We'd love to talk to you about possibly being a co-host with us. That's going to make them start thinking about your platform again. How am I using it? How am I not? I mean, I it, it's ways to do it, right? It's ways for CSMs to say, could I have a journey? Could you create a journey that involves advocacy without me having to ask about it? And now you guys start to get more involved and it becomes messaging that's all based off of how more can I get them involved in our brand? I think you're spot on. I think all I would add to that and um, complement that with the fact that it, we are always trying to show the value of our programs. And, and one of the key parts of your question, Eve, was, you know, how do we weigh acquisition over personalization and continued expansion and growth within consult? Well, I, I would say that right now more than ever, it is the perfect time to understand what an anti-fragile approach is, right? It's an approach that works whether you're in times of abundance or times of scarcity, right? It's a, it's an approach that is, is recession proof, but it's also like growth proof. It's, it's something that works across the board right now. Sales is having a hard time. Acquisitions and have having a hard time. And I can guarantee you, a lot of our companies are looking at our install base and going, how do we squeeze more juice out of this lemon, right? And at the same time, we're seeing a lot of people in this group, in this cohort of our peers and colleagues getting their budgets frozen and getting their headcount frozen and having to cut people, right? And so we're asking more of, but from less, right? And we wanna get more out of less. So how important is it to personalize and have customers that are already on board and not starting from net zero because all of your focus and all of your energy is on net new logo acquisition? Well, I guarantee you a lot of companies are feeling the pain for taking that approach and they are now changing the way that they're thinking about it. But it's up to us to, to show that value. It is up to us to communicate and prioritize this within our organizations. Is it easy? No. Because we're used to certain, you know, that same muscle memory of how the business has always functioned. Is it easy to make that change? Absolutely not. But is it incredibly important to have that conversation and to start pushing? But you, but you also, you can't come into the conversation willy nilly. You've got to be prepared. You have to understand how to position it, right? Just like you personalize your messages that go out to your customers, you need to understand how to personalize your messages internally and speak the language, each of these different departments that you're trying to talk to and get them on your side to speak, right? And you've got to come to them with the pain points that are specific to them, not as a company overall, right? When you go up to the top executives, it's overall. But before you get there, you've got to get that cross-channel alignment and those are individual pain points, Right. So like herding cats or like customer acquisition, what is it? Um, 
uh, what does Bev Barnett call it? I love it. She says, getting to yes. She has a whole episode, if anyone wants to go listen to it, called Getting to Yes. It's on the, um, we did it at live. And she's at Workday, which, you know, huge company with multi-matrixed organization with so many different departments. And so she's got her work cut out for her when she's trying to make change, right? Mm-hmm. And she's done a phenomenal job. So it's, it's I you know, I'm totally aligned with what you're saying. And I think that, you know, Eve, that question nails something underlying that is in change right now that we were saying in flux right now. It's so, it's such a relevant time to have this conversation. Yeah, it's um, definitely a sense of understanding and kind of proving the fact that that once that first purchase has been made, it's not the end of the customer journey and how important it is to kind of nurture that life cycle into something that is going to last for sure. Um so, well, I did have a, another question, which kind of goes into almost the opposite of this in the terms of we know how important personalization is to um, prioritize over things like acquisition, particularly um, during times like this in recession and stuff. But in events where you do have customers that are in risk of churning, you notice that the the line is going up, there are more customers getting to that point. How does personalization prevent that? Um, and how, how does it, how does it kind of, how can you use it to kind of almost do a little bit of damage control um, when it comes to that kind of thing? Uh, you know, that's a, it's a, that's a tough question, right? I, I don't think um, that it is going to be the magic bullet for churn, right? Like churn churn can be decided 17 layers above the person that you work with every day because somebody was at a dinner and they met somebody who's your competitor and they, your CEO had a great conversation with them and said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to switch tomorrow or, Hey, go find out if we actually have this type of functionality. Right. So there's, there's all these different swirling things of churn. And sometimes you benefit from those conversations at a dinner party. Sometimes you don't. Um, but I think I think the key to installing something as the client gets to know you and it's personalized, they start to really trust you. So they start to look at content that they get from you versus maybe somebody else that's trying to sell to them. Right. So they're they're looking at Maria really knows me. Maria gets my business. My client success manager gets my business like everybody on that team understands who I am. And now I'm starting to get other material sent over to me. They don't really know me. And it continues to be that way, right? Like they keep sending them stuff that's like not relevant. It doesn't speak to the way that they speak. It's not the industry that they're in. Um, I, I don't know that that necessarily could prevent them from their eyes turning and looking at something else, but it'll definitely give them a moment to step back and say, wait a minute. Am I going to get the same service? Because product to product, they might be the exact same thing, but it's the people behind the product and it's the content and it's the material that they're providing me to make me look good at my job. Because ultimately, I know, at least for myself in advocacy and customer marketing, we want that person to look good in, in front of their peers, in front of anybody else in communities that they're in, their boss, everything, right? We're there to make them look like rock stars and superstars. So the material that, what's that? 
to be sports agents. Yeah. I mean, I love that analogy and that, that will be my whole new mindset. Um, I think that again, it's, it's this comparison of I'm getting this material. Somebody who's trying to get my business really hasn't done the due diligence to find out who I am and what, and what I want. Um, again, I, you know, I always hate to say, yeah, this is going to cure churn. Nothing is going to cure churn. It's not, you could have the great, I will pride myself on saying that I was a great client success manager. And I had a client that came to me on a Friday and said, I'm going to have to. And I was like, no, you don't break up with a girl on a Friday. Let's talk on Monday. (laughs) And and on Monday, we had that conversation. I said, tell me, tell me why. And it was, it was out of my hands. There was Mm -hmm. nothing that I could have done. And that's exactly what they said to me. And they proved it by going on and leaving us an amazing review. It was not their decision. It was a company made decision. Friends of friends of friends. It's going to happen, right? So that's why I'm always really careful about a, a, a magic bullet that's going to cure um, churn. It's not going to, it's it's the ebb and flow of business. Yeah. Unfortunately. I, I can tell you, I, I work on this with um, a lot of our customers um, and we call them re-engagement programs, right? And so sometimes it's out of your hands, Right. Sometimes it's literally like our company is now going to co-market with this other company and we're integrating. And so you're a competitor of them. So we've got to move to their platform. Nothing to do with your service or the value delivery. You were working. We were getting value. We understand it. But we have this bigger play in it. And sometimes it's because you dropped the ball. And that's okay too. We are, I think we're SaaS especially is probably one of the only industries in the world where you can sell a car to somebody and be like, the windows are coming. I swear the door is coming. Remember this, the door is coming, right? We're like, the engine is there though. And the gas pedal, so you can technically drive this right now, but it's all coming and we promise. And where, oh, it's, it's coming. It's on the roadmap. It's on the roadmap. Look at it, right out the windshield, right there. Um, the windshield that doesn't exist yet. Just look right through it. So so we're going to drop balls. Value delivery is is going to be eroded from different, from too many hands, you know, coming and reaching in. And it just happens, right? And it happens to all of us. We are moving at a million miles an hour. And when that does happen, right, when it is in your control to help your CSMs with them and that personalization, right, you can create re-engage, we call them re-engagement programs, right? And it's how do we help bring them back in to the fold? How do we help show them and regain their trust and their confidence to make them, like you just said, look great Mm -hmm. at their organizations? Because I left a company, I left, I literally left a company because we were making our customers look bad in their own organizations, right? Mm -hmm. People are reaching out going, I stuck my neck out. Right. I got all of this budget, but it wasn't just the budget. I'm going into these meetings and getting change management across the board. I have sales training, I have all this, and nothing is working. I'm looking like the fool. Right. Right. It's heart crushing because we are humans at the end of the day and we love each other and we want to support each other. We all want to grow together. And we're we're eroding their own integrity and value in their own organizations. Mm -hmm. We have to build their trust back. It is on our shoulders to regain their trust and their confidence in us because we have done them a disservice, Mm -hmm. right? And you've got to be accountable to that. You can't just 
you know, um, justify away and give all the reason and rationale of why these things happen, how really it's kind of their false expectations. And right. We reposition that doesn't work at the end of the day. That yeah. doesn't work. So sorry, yeah. that's an emotionally hot topic for me. No, no, no. I, I, I think you're right. You know, it's so interesting. We're we're in the midst of uh, we just finalized our attendees for our next uh, cab, our client advisory board in April. And um, one of the somebody came to me and was like, well, why this account? They don't really have like the adoption. They don't have this. They don't have, and I go, I know I want to find out why. <laughs> I want them to be at a table and I want them to tell us why, because everything on paper should show that they, that this is the best benefit for their for their group. And I want to understand why. And I want to put them at a table with people that have been successful. I want them to have cocktails and dinner and say to us, I'm going to tell you why this isn't working. It's because of this. And then I want to ideate on that. And I want to find out, is that creeping into other clients? Is that something that we're going to start to find because they've been with us for a while? These are somewhat newer clients that are a part of our board. Like, is it something that happens at that stage? Only way to find out is let's go right. take them out for dinner and find out. Like we, you can't avoid, <laughs> you can, you got to know the good, the bad, the ugly, especially right. the ugly, because they're going to go and tell everybody. Whereas the good's going to be like, oh, they were great. Everything was fine. We just have to cut budget or whatever. But the uglies are going to share it and you're never going to be able to lose that reputation. And it's all because she just didn't listen. You didn't ask the question because you were so afraid. Oh, my God, they're going to churn. Nobody's going to churn because you asked them, like, hey, would you want to be a part of our board? Or can you do advocacy effects? They're not going to be like, that's it. I'm done with you. And if they do, somebody call me because I, I have never seen that in my <laughs> career of client success of asking somebody too many times that they that that's the reason why why they turned. Um, but anyway, that was a tangent, too. But it, it was so timely. And what you were saying, I was totally. like, oh, my God, Ari, I get it. I'm having this battle right now. <laughs> we, could do a whole, we could do a whole call on whether something is localized rather than systemic. And if it is systemic, how do you approach mm-hmm. that? If it's localized, mm-hmm. how do you approach that? Yeah, yeah. So true. So true. Yeah, yeah it's a, fantastic. Yeah, it's like, um, seems to me as, a, as an outsider, like personalization, in terms of churn, it's it's less about the data and less about the numbers. And it's more about creating enough of a relationship to be when they're at that dinner table to not consider the other person or to feel comfortable enough to tell you about this pain point. It's so much better that they vent to you than their yeah. boss. It's so much better that they vent to you and say, you know what, Here, here's why we're finding some problems. Like, mm. I got just, you know, you shut up, you sit back and you listen to them and you go, you know what, that would suck. And we do need to fix this. Like, you know, get, get in the boat with them and, and understand that this is a pebble in their shoe and it is not going anywhere. So fix it um, as best as you can. And it might even be, I can't fix that. I guess. Yeah. To, to wrap up uh, today, do you have any examples of when you have used personalization um, in, in your work environment and how that has maybe had an impact, uh, specifically, um, I think we, we mentioned earlier in terms of things like 
the recession that's going on now and a couple of years ago, things like COVID and stuff like that. How did what how did your processes change and how did personalization kind of help you maintain that level of success within these particular, you know, big global events? You know, listen, I I go back to when way back in the day when you would go to Amazon and they'd say, here's some recommendations. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you for thinking for me. Like, thank you for saying you read this. We think this is the next best book for you because you just saved me time. Personalization down the road saves every consumer time because they don't have to be like, oh, and they don't spiral. They don't go down a rabbit hole of like, well, maybe I need them. Maybe I need that. No, I'm telling you, (laughs) I'm telling you without telling you that this is the next step, right? I think having, whether it's case studies, it's quotes, it's videos, something to get that your client to be like, oh, that's what we could be doing next. Okay, that's my next goal. Okay, I'm going to work on that. But they're snackable and they're small. Because I'm slow, I'm growing them without them grow without them knowing that I just gave them a project. So, you know, that that was what I loved about, oh, that's the next book. Oh, I click the button and then the book comes to me. Okay, that's what I want. I didn't have to do anything. And then you become reliant on it, right? Like you, you now expect, even though some people are like, I hate the people have my data. No, you don't. You actually kind of like it. You just don't know it. It, it's nice to have somebody present something to you that you're like, oh, I was just thinking about that. Or it gets you thinking, that's what I do need to do next. Okay, that was successful for them. Perfect timing, because I felt like we had hit the end with this product. That's a great story. Okay, so that's what I need to be doing next to rejuvenate and or work more within this platform that I've invested in. It's the timing, and the timing is based on the data and then the the content is based on what do you want to give them that's personalized to that stage that they're in um, would, would be my like, if you're not doing that or thinking about it in that way, it might be a little bit harder to, to conceptually understand um, personalization. Yeah, yeah. I, I can say, and to, to help wrap this up, I can give an example and I'm also going to what you just said just goes back to what you had said at the top of the hour, right? Which is breaking down what the personalization is being used for. So you're mm-hmm. your marketing. Is it for engagement, right? Is it for continued engagement or is it for initial adoption and onboarding? Is it for expansion? Is it for surprise and delight? You have these buckets. And I will say something that does work, and I love to talk about these are our happy moments, um, is surprise and delight. And sometimes we forget because we're so busy in the in the business motion of revenue generation, we forget the power of surprise and delight. So I'll give you an actual thing that we do at Influitive, uh, a tangible thing that that people can do. So we created a program for our CSMs to make our CSMs not only heroes, but being able to surprise and delight certain customers at certain times. So we've created this template of about 16 different calls to action. So it's like having a baby getting married, going on vacation, their favorite sports team one, right? We have these separate and each CSM gets a certain budget. So they get four of these a quarter or a month that they get to use on a customer, right? And what they do is they come in, they let us know by going into the software, we create a challenge where they record themselves saying something wonderful about their customer, then we'll go and actually get like that customer's boss to record something wonderful about them, to give a congratulatory message, right? And so I will go out and I will actually 
it then triggers it me and says, hey, Ari, will you email so-and-so and record a message to their boss asking their boss to take part in this? So it's all automated and scaled. Oh. And then we set whatever that personalized gift is with the accompanying messages and videos from their boss and their CSM. And so their CSM feels like a hero, right? The person feels incredibly special because you put so much thought into it and it doesn't take a lot of time. Right? Mm -hmm. It's literally me getting on a message and leaving a minute long message, asking someone to partake in something. Right. And it's personalized and it's scalable. So it's just, it's a, I, those kind of things. How can you not love doing that stuff? Right. Because it's That's all the awesome. people. Yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic way of doing some personalization without um, a lot of time and without a lot of money as well. Um, so thank you so much, both of you, for, for joining me again. And um, I really hope that we get to talk about this again in the future. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful recording session. So thank you. Thank, thank you so much. much, Eve. Thanks, Ari. Thank you.